You're listening to the Imaginally True Change podcast with Prashant Goel. Each week we speak with courageous people contributing to a better world. Each one's personal triumphs and challenges lead us to reflect on a fulfilling professional life. Our guests inspire us to overcome fear and resistance and to walk our own path of Dharma, that is, our higher purpose. Hi, welcome to episode nine of the Imaginally True Change podcast with Prashant Goel. My guest this week is Victoria Castle, and Victoria Castle describes herself as a paradigm buster. She questions what we culturally take for granted and exposes it to the light. And that's how she was able to see the trance of scarcity, that it was a story masquerading as the irrefutable, unchangeable truth. And her book has helped thousands of people claim a new reality for themselves and their world. And it's engendered a new set of thought leaders. Victoria says people in a trance are dangerous to themselves and others, while people who are awake and understand the phenomenon of story can create a new future. She is a master somatic coach. She teaches and works with clients internationally to embody what they care about rather than being another talking head. And as a spiritual guide, she helps people tune into the stream of higher intelligence that is always available. She's a potent blend of rigorous practicality and an irreverent sense of humor. And, and for me, I am, I'm really thrilled and grateful to have Victoria as our guest today because that's how I found her. I read The Trance of Scarcity myself, and that was last summer. And I came across it because I had started to understand for myself how how fear of scarcity really limits me in my own life and how I noticed uh, the unfoldings of, of the trance of scarcity in our collective culture and that it's a really, really powerfully limiting take on the world. And so when I did an Amazon research into books on scarcity, Victoria's was the first that came up and I did a little bit of research and, and clicked inside and was excited to get started. And so now here we are a year later and, uh, and Victoria is my guest on this podcast and I'm so happy to be with her here today. Welcome, Victoria. Uh, any, any opening remarks? I'm delighted to be here. I'm, I love being an inquiry all the time. Of what do we see? What do we don't see? And, you know, what moved me to write the book, because I don't consider myself a writer, I'm a teacher, uh, was that I saw so many of us kind of caught in this trance and didn't see that it was there. And until we could see it, we couldn't do anything about it. So being able to lift the veil, we might say, and get and look with fresh eyes, opens a new possibility of our lives. Mm. And I think we can't afford to have all of us hunkered down and clenched, believing life is hard. We can't possibly be at our best from there. So it's exciting to me what can happen when we say, really? Well, let's check that out. (laughs) It is exciting. Good starting point would just be for you to share a little bit more with our audience about what you mean by the trance of scarcity. Yes, yeah. So we have a cultural predisposition to lack 
struggle and separation as if that's the truth. That's a fact and you can't change it. And that greatly limits our possibilities in the world. But if we can discern the difference between a fact and interp- or an interpretation, an assertion versus an assessment, assessment is a way of interpreting fact or a way of looking. It's a lens. It's literally a lens that we look through. So something called scarcity can exist as a reality because it's, it's, we're entranced by it. It, you know, it's, it flies underneath the radar. We don't even see it. We just go, yeah, there's not enough. Yeah, I'm not enough. Yeah, it'll never work. Yeah, that's the way it is. Make the best of it. As opposed to going, wait a minute. That's an interpretation. And interpretations are always about how we see things. So we're not changing a fact. We're not changing that there's $100. But our interpretation of, is that too much? Is that enough? Is that not enough? That's all ours. That's what we bring to it. So if we can see the trance, then we have some freedom and choices. If we can't see the trance, it has us. And so my guess is that a lot of people, they're aware of the symptoms of the trance, but they're not aware necessarily of the lens that they're, that they're bringing to their, situ- their everyday life situations. And then you help to recognize that that's a lens that they're bringing, that it's just a matter of perspective, actually. Yeah, you know, and and for a long time, people that have come to me for either coaching or to come into their organizations, it's like we're working really hard, we're not producing what we want to produce. Where's the breakdown? How do we get more efficient? How do we do this better? Mm. And so for me, the starting point really is to be able to distinguish between fact and interpretation. Mm -hmm. And just because a billion people have the same interpretation doesn't make it a fact. So to be able to see that how I see things determines what I see as possible and what options become available is both liberating and I would say very annoying. Because <laughs> <laughs> if I see like, you mean I'm producing this for me? I'm producing this hardship? But wait, no, I have all this proof that I'm not good enough. I'm telling you, it just it, my life doesn't work. What life is hard. So it requires the ability to step back just enough to go, well, okay, what if it, let's just consider it's possible that it's a lens and it's not the truth. What would that make different? So it, it's very simple things like a fact is there's two of us talking in this conversation. An interpretation could be we're the right two people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk too fast. We talk too slow. We talk just right. All of those are interpretations And interpretations are where we live. That's how we decide things. That's where we get energized or depleted. So just that simple thing, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, my the the story that runs in my head all the time, and this was mine. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not young enough or old enough, smart enough, attractive enough, uh, wealthy enough, competent enough. And if that's running all the time, that produces a certain reality. And I'm not saying okay, just think happy thoughts and everything will be great. That's all you have to do. (laughs) But to recognize the power I have in what I do think and what it produces. And if I want something else, how do I get myself really aligned to that as a possibility? It's very interesting what you're saying. 
it opens up a whole new realm of possibility from how people tend to approach the challenges in their lives. For example, if you're stuck in that thing that you just described in an organization, okay, let's just do it faster. Let's do it more. Let's squeeze more efficiency out of it. You don't realize there's a whole other realm of options because you're stuck in that interpretation of reality. I think you draw in the book on that, that well-known Albert Einstein quote, we can't solve problems with the same level of thinking that created them. If we're trying to do more and squeeze more out of it, we're going to stay in that same level of thinking. But if we realize, ah, maybe some of the very fundamental assumptions that I'm bringing to this situation are actually what's creating the, the way I'm interpreting this situation. And if I were to challenge those assumptions, but it can be so hard to challenge those assumptions because we don't even realize that we're taking certain things for granted. And I wonder how, how, do, we, how do we enter into that place of challenging assumptions that we've taken for granted? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think part of it is recognizing the phenomenon of point of view. Mm or interpretation, or lens. Mm -hmm. We all have it, and we get shaped by how we were raised, the messages we got, where we lived, the level of income around us, all of those kind of things shape, oh, this is reality. Oh, this is what reality looks like. Oh, this is what reality looks like. And we don't question it because it's reality. Mm. So you just go with what you've got. So it does feel, in some ways, I think it can feel a little disloyal to go, wait a minute. Maybe that's one point of view. Is there another point of view? Maybe there's a hundred other points of view. And then the question for me becomes, not is my interpretation right or wrong, because it can't be, because all it is is an interpretation, but is it useful given what I care about? Is it useful to me to have an interpretation that I'm not enough? For some people, maybe it is because it really spurs them to do more and learn more. But for most of us, it's a way of shutting it down. Well, I can only expect this much. Oh, I would never be eligible for that. Mm -hmm. So to even allow there to be other possibilities, and one of the things that I often invite clients to do is to come up with 20 interpretations about something. Mm -hmm. So where I live right now, it's sunny and it's 73 degrees. Oh, that's perfect weather. Oh, that's not really warm enough. Oh, yeah, but it's burning the plants. Yeah, you know, we just come up, but just keep coming up. Like there's a hundred interpretations available. Mm -hmm. He's a good person. He's a bad person. He's too tall. He's too short. All of those are points of view. And we, our points of view are kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's like a lens that's been inserted. Yeah. So we don't know we can change it. Yeah. So just getting in the habit of that. And, and watching my conditioned tendency or conditioned response about things. So if I've got a story that I'm not significant, then it doesn't matter how other people treat me. I'll find evidence that supports I'm not good enough. Yeah. Because they didn't talk long enough or they weren't curious or they didn't listen to me. It's like, oh, see, see, just goes to show you. So it, it's really some getting a little air inside of all of those packed in assumptions. Everything you're saying is so exciting to me. I feel like I want to pursue five different lines of conversation simultaneously here right now. Well, let, let me just offer this, which is very fun. So I, I do improvisational comedy. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the games in improv is a game called Ding. So you have a little bell like uh, that would sit on the front desk at a hotel when you ring for service. And so two people are in whatever scene they're in, and they say something, and then a third person hits the Mm. bell. And every time they hit the bell, the person that was speaking has to come up with an alternative, like, uh, oh, God, I'm so tired today. Ding. Oh, God, I'm so excited today. Ding. Oh, God, I'm so angry today. Ding. And you just keep going. Right. And it can be endless. And then the last time they ring the bell is you go ahead with that ah, in the skit. Gotcha. But it's such a good practice. And I, I, I'll just say that my husband and I have learned to play that with each mm. other in the car. Yeah. And particularly when one of us is being kind of complaining or not very appreciative or ding. something, the other person can just go, ding, <laughs> like, give me another interpretation that will be more useful yeah. or helpful. So I think holding it lightly rather than, oh, my God, I've been wrong about what I've been assuming and seeing in life. No, 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 no. There's, there's nothing here about right or wrong. Is it useful? Is it useful? Yes. And that returns us to the emphasis on practicality. <laughs> Almost like sometimes we think there's only one right version of reality. Our debates between people have that implicit assumption underneath that there's only one right version of reality rather than we're exchanging viewpoints on that. Together we can create a more expansive understanding of what's happening in any given situation. What's interesting is to return that to what you said earlier, even if there's a billion people holding that version, that doesn't make it the truth. It just means people are misguided in that understanding. Sometimes I think that holds us in place. I think a great number of people somehow hold the unconscious or conscious awareness that they're not good enough. And then you create a a whole lot of social systems based on that foundation. And obviously those social systems are going to be limited because they're going to be all in one way or another. And I mean, this is simplifying a bit, a compensation for those beliefs. And so what, what what I notice, and I think this is epidemic in society, we're oftentimes hoping that if we just do enough struggling and striving outside. And if we just get to that next level, we'll somehow fix that thing that doesn't feel so good inside us. That is like an endless chase. And we never end up feeling (laughs) any happier because we believe that the, that the external can fix those things. When in fact, the, the internal ways of thinking also need to be directly addressed. So everything you're saying resonates a lot and it shows how massive the unfoldings are of the trance of scarcity. And I'd love for you to pick up from there because I know you probably could, can offer a lot more additional insight. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind here is as human beings, our need to belong is paramount. So if everybody around me is believing a certain way, it's very risky to not believe that way. It's like, oh, I'm going to separate myself from the tribe or I might get thrown out. So our desire to belong is is constant, always, and rightly so, because we're beings that thrive in community. What I often see is people who, once they kind of see this phenomenon, 
become very judgmental and harsh with themselves. Like, oh, I can't believe I've been so stupid. Or like, why didn't I see this before? It's like, no, 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 no. You, you just moved a little and got a different view and saw something different that's an opening. And it's, there's not any should have done this sooner because that's the old story, which is also I'm only lovable if I'm perfect. Right. I'm only good enough if da-da-da-da-da. So we keep ourselves on the scales, on the measuring. How am I doing today? Did I do? No, I didn't do quite enough. No, I, no, I got to lose 10 more pounds. Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, it, it keeps us busy. It keeps us really busy. And that, just what you said, whether it's individual or organizations, we go to work getting busy about making things better so that mm. something can work without ever stepping back to go, well, wait a minute, what's the story we're telling ourselves here? Yeah. You know, and even if you read about some of the early economists, they really understood it. It's mm. like, how do you define scarcity? And if you just keep laying on that, then you can scare people enough that they'll do what they need to do kind of thing. And it wasn't like, let's set them up to have a hard time, but how we look at things, how we interpret things, opens some possibilities, and closes other possibilities always. That's just the nature of an assessment. Yeah. If I think you're a nice person, that opens possibility that we'll get to know each other better and closes possibilities that I'm going to look elsewhere, that kind of thing. So the power that we have, if we don't know that we have it, just kind of becomes an irritant. A good place to do this, like if you drive to work, to just notice what runs in your head. Mm. Any, you know, it doesn't have to be at work when you're doing anything, but if just like not enough, not enough, not enough. Oh yeah, I mean, should do that more. You know, he's kind of be problematic, and I see that this is going to be difficult. And here's what I have to do when I go in today. And we, as opposed to what's possible, what's possible here, and given what I care about, for the sake of what, all of my clients will tell you that they hear this from me all the time. For the sake of what. Are you making that decision? Are you taking that action or not taking that action? Just, it's not like you need to be right. Just be conscious. For the sake of what would you not speak up in the meeting when you see that something's off? <sighs> because I, I don't want to be problematic. I don't want people to think I'm a know-it-all. So I, I'm just going to stay quiet about it kind of thing. And, and it's never about judging myself because I should have done something else. I just want to be operating from choice. So for the sake of what would I take the risk? For the sake of what would I have the conversation that's difficult? For the sake of what would I be kinder to myself? You know, like actually look at my virtues rather than all of my shortcomings. What would that take care of? What do I care about ultimately? And so we're back to given what I care about, what's useful? Not what's right or wrong or good or bad or too late or too early what's useful given what I care about. So for me, that's an invitation to really connect with myself again. What does matter to me? Who do I want to be in the world? What quality of relationships do I want to have? What legacy do I want? What impact do I want to have? And I would say the majority of my clients are people that want to make a difference in the world. They want to do good. Mm. So given that, 
where do I see openings of moving forward and where do I see that's not going to be productive? You know, it's always opening possibilities, closing possibilities and being willing to be uncomfortable. So number one, we humans like to belong. And number two, we like to be comfortable. Yes. We like our comfort zones. We will defend our comfort zones like, oh, don't make me do that. That's uncomfortable. And because we want to be comfortable, agreeing with what's habitual is comfortable. It may not actually feel good, but it's known. There's no surprises here. I don't have to be anything different than what I'm being. So the comfort zone. I, I would love for people if their comfort zone is where they felt liberated rather than, okay, I, I, I got to settle back into this little place that's been carved out. Because <sighs> when I'm here, I know what's going to happen. Nothing new is going to happen. Mm. Well, I think it's completely legitimate to want to be comfortable for the sake of what? Yeah, <laughs> what am I taking care of? Yeah. And, and if my attention is on being comfortable, staying comfortable, staying inside the comfort zone, then I just simply have less energy to go explore possibilities. Yeah, that's a great idea, but it'll never work. Okay, I'm back to what I know. I'm back to the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So how do I build my capacity, my resilience to at least look at other options? Doesn't mean I'm obliged to do anything different, but to even see that, you know, maybe it would be a good idea if I did have that conversation or... Well, you know, I keep hanging out with these people, but they're, they like to drink more than I like to drink. I don't think that that's good for me, but they're my friends and I don't want to lose my friends. Mm. So I'll just make that okay. You know, I, I'm not saying it's a, hey, get over it, get clear and move on. Mm. But understanding for the sake of what, or, or inquiring about for the sake of what, what, what really matters to me. Somebody asked me some time ago, okay, in a sentence, what do you do? which is a really good exercise. Mm. And what I heard myself say was, I help people be great even under pressure. Mm. Mm -hmm. And largely my work has been with leaders, so I help leaders be great. Well, they're always under pressure. Mm -hmm. I think most of us are. But, so how do I be great, my best self, really grounded, centered? I have the long, I have the long view in mind while I'm de dealing with the tactical that's frustrating. How do I be great in the moment? And the first answer is, for me, from my observation, our state of being determines how we are in the world far more than our circumstances. Mm. If my state of being is grateful, if my state of being is curious, I have a different future than somebody who has a state of being who's resentful and suspect of others. Mm. And the circumstances could be exactly the same. So in any moment, what's my state of being if I notice, and, and this is not just in the head, it's also really very much about embodiment, like my, the alignment of body and mind. I really come into a congruence here so that I can tell I'm holding my breath or my um, throat feels tight or, you know, I can't really feel my legs, all my tension's up here. Okay then that gives me information of like, well, let me just settle in for a minute. <sighs> Exhale, get here, remember what I care about and continue the conversation. Mm -hmm. To be generous to ourselves, it's like, wow, this is uncomfortable. Why would I do it? Okay, what do I need? 
to do that? What kind of support do I need or space do I need or timing? And I'm uncomfortable. And then I begin to be able to regulate my own nervous system so that it's not just about what happens out there. You know, I think that's where things like meditation and exercise are key because they reset us. They, they let us kind of clear out of all of that stuff that's packed in here. Go, okay, now what do I see? What do I care about? And taking time for ourselves, if the fact is that everything's scarce and there's not enough, can look like a really foolish move. Mm. If I'm still loyal to there's not enough and I'm not enough. Wow. So how to be great is to be present to myself and to the world and see options. You know, it, ultimately it's practices. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to enrich your life, take, take on some practices that are really nourishing to you. It's not, do not work to make yourself better, <laughs> smarter, cuter, any of those kind of things. But what are my daily practices? So for me, gratitude is an ongoing practice. And it by itself, I think, is life-changing. If I just continually see things and acknowledge that, I, wow, I'm grateful for that and I'm grateful for this. And when I was going through what I write about in the book about Victoria's Adventures in Hell, that fortunately is many years ago when I was divorced, I didn't have any money, I was in a new town, I was looking for work, I couldn't get work, like, oh, it was very bleak, it was very bleak. But one of the things I would do, and so I went on interview after interview, never got a job, but I was always the runner up. But what I decided, my anxiety was so high going to these interviews that I make a deal with myself that I'm just gonna list what I'm grateful for while I'm driving there, and as soon as I run out of things that I'm grateful for, I can go back to being nervous. So I would start with a really mundane, well, I'm gr- grateful that there's air and that there's roads and cars and, and steering wheels and that actually people stay in their lane. And I'm grateful for, and I'm grateful for, and I'm grateful for, and pretty soon I'd be at the place to have the interview because uh, I hadn't run out of things to be grateful for. And I went in there in a different state rather than panicked and I know I'm not good enough, but you know, please give me a job to, well, let's see what's, what's possible here and is, if this is a fit. So how we attend to our own state, that any of us can do anywhere. I, I don't need to have special equipment for that. And I'm grateful for this conversation because you're sharing a lot of incredible insights with our audience here. There were many little threads in there that I could pick up on, but one that I want to pick up on now is you mentioned how even our own power can be an irritant. That's a very interesting understanding uh, (laughs) because it's something that I've understood for myself as well. It's almost that's how a longing inside us can manifest is because it's like an expression of our own power that's like beckoning us to go deeper, to expand out of our comfort zone, to move in the direction of our hearts and our hopes rather than what is largely, uh, and this is still the prevailing norm, although maybe a lot of people don't recognize it because it's a trance, fear-based type motivation. 
when you start coming from that place and you start embracing practices and start looking at life in terms of what you can be grateful for, and then you see for the sake of what, and you make your choices based on what's actually in service of, of your higher aims, it's like, oh, I can change my mindset step by step here. I can, I can open up a broader set of options. I think sometimes we, we might be stuck in a certain place, you know, and I know how this looked in my own life, we might be stuck in a certain place just because we don't have any other references and we're so inside our own interpretation and trance, mm-hmm. those other possibilities don't open up to us. But this, your, this conversation and the way you communicate about the trance and how that change can happen, I think suggests to anybody out there who's feeling dissatisfied with themselves or hearing that voice of I'm not good enough or I don't have enough or is in, it maybe is okay with their life, but it's where they are is only because of a product of a lot of stress and struggle and striving. Mm-hmm. You're giving a really clear indication that the people that are living happier lives and are doing more fulfilling things, it's not because they're fundamentally luckier than you or they have more <laughs> they have more talent than you it's they just learned tools to help work with themselves in a different way and to relate to the world and others in a different way i i think that's really well said yeah if we treat ourselves like we're a project and we're mm. broken mm. it's a very different orientation in life to i'm full of potential and willing to learn mm. Because the thing about scarcity, so this is back to the embodiment piece, because it's great to understand this conceptually, but understanding conceptually does not change our lives. Mm. And I was really disappointed about that because I spent a lot of (laughs) really getting it conceptually. Until we integrate it into our whole body, into our nervous system, into our the, the soma, which is what the ancient Greeks referred to as the living self as a whole being of intelligence, not just the head and not just the body, but the whole sense. Until I have it so that it's in me, it, it again, it just keeps being a, a nice theory. In, in fact, there's a wonderful New Guinea proverb that says, it's only a rumor until it's in the muscle. So when you think about something you've done that you're reliable at being able to open a door or start your car, it's trained into the muscle now. It's part of you. You're reliable for it. Even under pressure, you know how to open the doorknob. Even under pressure, you can whatever. So to be able to have it so my nervous system begins to to be that I can regulate it, like we say, we get activated and we relax. And there's the sinusoidal curve that goes on for everybody all the time it pretty much any living being has it not just humans like whoop and mm-hmm. then we come back whoop and then we mm-hmm. come back to life well some of us can't come back we don't we don't know how to come down anymore from being activated so everything's tense and everything's pressure and it's got to happen now and i can't talk to you about that and it just gets more and more and more and internally it's like what's wrong with me i can't cope oh my god i'm you know it's it's never going to work so to appreciate, to even have the distinction of when I'm in what we call the, 
sympathetic or fight or flight response. It means I'm on alert. There's tension. I'm holding. Oxygen isn't moving very well. Muscles are tight. There's constriction. For a lot of us, it's around eyes, jaws, other part of the body. Um, if that can be a signal to me, like, okay, wait a minute. Let me breathe. Let me feel my feet on the ground. Let me shift my state. And with practice, I can take it from the automatic reaction from fight or flight, as we talk about it, to the parasympathetic, which is where blood flow is to all the internal organs. You know, it's, it's a um, maintenance state. Like it's, if, if we go from fight or flight, it could be renew and restore kind of thing. That all of my mental abilities are available to me in that state. They are not available to me in fight or flight. My focus becomes very narrow. I'm looking for relief. I'm looking how to get this over with. So we, we get to access a higher intelligence when we'll let our state come into more of a state of relaxation, into more of a flow. And if I've lived a life that feels like it's always combat, that sounds like a nice pipe dream, but not a reality. So like you said earlier, we want to really give ourselves time and take little steps. What would it be like if five times a day I stopped standing or sitting, really breathed into my belly, exhaled fully, fully felt my feet on the floor, let my, my spine get straight, and remembered what I care about. You know, that takes about five seconds. So what would happen if I did that? five times a day and then 10 times a day. And then bef when I go to my car, I center. When I walk through a doorway, I center. When the phone rings, I center. As one of my great coaches said, honestly, you have time to center before you pick up the phone. You honestly do. They're not going to hang up after it rings just once. But all of those kind of things are built in. I keep returning to the possibility of flow, to just the possibility of a flow state rather than a contracted state. That in itself, I get smarter. The world looks less ominous or dangerous. I see more possibilities. And so it is that slow building of that capacity. And that's the thing about practices. They're lifelong and they need to be regular. So centering once a month really doesn't do very much. And then there's the, oh, from the trans point of view, there's not enough time to do these practices. Like, yeah, well, I'd like for you to check that out because yeah. I've worked with large organizations and executives who are certainly under pressure and they find they have more time and space in the day if they're regularly centering, if they're regularly stopping themselves and go on, hang on a second. <sighs> Am I really here? Did I understand what the question was? <sighs> What's possible? And it also, I think, lets us realize we can draw on the intelligence and resource of the universe. It doesn't just have to be me by myself. And that's a huge shift out of scarcity. That's a huge shift out of scarcity, like the sense of being connected to something bigger and to have a connection to that and to be able to draw on that meaningfully through the simplest of things, just pausing for a moment and doing as you described. That practice is is the practice of whatever you might be interested in whether it's high performance in work or uh, connection in your relationship or 
whatever type of exchange in your community, you know, all of that starts from that presence. And I think intuitively we get that. I think most people get that to a certain degree, but the the stories can be so strong. And also what you described earlier about how it needs to travel into the body. Ken Robinson had this great phrase in his TED talk, we're living most of our lives from the neck up. Our bodies are just vehicles for our heads. You right. Know? right. You know, I came across this statistic the other day, like literally just two days ago, that we have about 50,000 thoughts a day, 95 to 98% of them are the same ones as we had yesterday, which shows that we can be a little bit on the boring side. (laughs) (laughs) Well, comfort zone. Comfort zone. Comfort zone. Yeah. Worries are perpetuating because 80% of our thoughts are negative. And so if we realize, okay, there are practices and that we adopt those practices and we let go, I mean, the trance itself suggesting something in the way of a zeal for instant perfection. You know, if we, if we realize that's part of the trance and we step out of it <laughs> and, and we practice, come back to the center. When, whenever we remember just to take that breath and, and how yeah. beautiful that is and that that brings it into the muscles and then it becomes more and more an embodied way of being. And then we're more and more drawing on these full, fuller capacities as a way of, as a way of life everything that we're looking for, all types of fruits that we would love to taste in our lives, all the flowers we would like to smell, (laughs) it starts with something that simple. Yeah, which is kind of offensive to our brain who wants to think we're so terribly complicated. It's like, (laughs) what? You're telling me if I exhale, my life will get better? Come on. (laughs) But there there is, I I would just say too that... um, I watch this a lot when they see people that are anxious, they go, take a deep breath. Yeah. I wouldn't start there. I would start with the exhale because most of us are holding our breath. You know, that's what the title of my book, stop holding your breath and start living your life kind of thing. Let things move, trusting that they'll be there when you need them. So exhaling does all kinds of things for us, Philip physiologically, for sure, you know, lets the diaphragm relax, it lets the throat relax, that all of that moves better. And there's more oxygen, because then after I've exhaled fully, the inhale's free. My body knows how to inhale. I don't have to say, I need to take a deep breath now, but just like, exhale. If you're in a meeting and, you, and other people are in a calm state and are regularly and just simply breathing and exhaling, it's contagious. It, it can shift a room because like, uh, not because I'm thinking about, oh yeah, I should exhale too. It's like, I don't know. I just feel calm around those people. I think, I think it just feels more possible when I'm talking to you. Yeah. So we're all radiating all the time. Yeah, right. And, and that you can feel the presence of an other and that possibility emanates and that calmness emanates. And, and we know this intuitively just from who we feel more comfortable around in our day-to-day lives than others. I would love, Victoria, to bring some attention to, to the journey that brought you to this understanding. Because you mentioned earlier in the conversation, Victoria's Adventures in Hell, uh, a, a very difficult moment in your life that, that maybe clued you into, oh, wow, this is all just a matter 
of an interpretation. And maybe you could give us a little bit more background of some of the challenges and what, what was some of the pathway to this deeper understanding that you're now sharing with others? Mm-hmm. I uh, was raised with the message of be the best or get the hell out of the way. Mm. Like that was how I was supposed to operate. So I was pretty sure I was a failure kind of right out of the shoot. <laughs> there, there wasn't a lot of places that I saw that I was the best, that I was the star, that I was perfect. Mm. So I kind of organized myself around comping, compensating for not being that and striving like crazy to be more that way. Basically never be satisfied with how I was, never be at ease with how I was. And, and I won't say never. I mean, I had good friends that we were ourselves with each other, but overall I got the message of, if you're gonna be out there in the world, be the best or don't take up room. So it's like, wow, that's a kind of narrow choice to make. <laughs> and early on, I was curious about why some people uh, seem to be at ease and generous and gracious and other people were uptight and somewhere my mom had said something about um, everybody's doing the best they can which was in conflict to my dad saying be the best or get out of the way. <laughs> but I saw this this good-heartedness in humans that very quickly got squeezed down and certainly by the time we were at high school and I grew up in Arlington, Virginia, right next to Washington, D.C., which is nothing but people taking themselves too seriously. Oh, Lord. The pressure to be great and to make a difference and all of that. was. Ugh. We were so uptight that it didn't give room for any other options. It was just strain or collapse, kind of. And then I had some great philosophy teachers. I just had some great inspiration in my life. And part of it was through... Um, some of the religious practices that I studied and, and spirituality as they became more and more a part of my fabric, I saw, oh, there's choice here. Even I didn't think there was choice, but there is. Like there, there is a, a kind of an unpacking and uncoupling of these assumptions that something else is possible. And, you know, then I get around doctrines that say you're innately divine. Well, how does that sit with thine innately not enough. Well, what am I supposed to do with those? So it began to kind of stretch my loyalties. And I wanted to believe the you're innately divine part and forget about the you're innately not. But to look at all of that and see, oh, wow, it really is the stories we tell ourselves. And state of being for me is a blending of the stories I tell myself and how I embody those stories. That creates a state of being. If my story is I'm not enoughness and I live in my body and I'm tight and hunkered down and holding my breath, that's the very can hear that looks like that's true to me. Life is hard, there's no room for me. It's I'll just keep having to keep harder. So the place to shift that state would be my story and how I embody it. Mm-hmm. So if I notice that I'm constantly have my shoulders up and my jaw clenched, which was one of the ones for me. And when I started learning about somatics, the, this embodiment piece, I became really conscious of how I almost always had, my jaw was always tight. Every time I checked, it was tight. It was like, it's just this kind of gripping sort of thing, you know, never go off duty. So I <laughs> put little sticky notes everywhere. 
you know, on the refrigerator door and the bathroom mirror in my car by my, well, it was at my desk everywhere that just said jaw. And every time I checked, it was tight. But after a while, I had released it enough that it had a different way that it could be. And that if I noticed quickly that my jaw was tight, that meant the rest of my body was going to come along in that same direction. It was tightening up. It was squeezing. It was, it was con contracting and compacting. So it's like, just check the jaw. Just check the jaw. Oh, yeah, just check the jaw. And if I relaxed my jaw, I breathed more, I dropped in more, and something else became available. And it didn't feel so hopeless. And that, to me, is one of the real prices of living in the trance, is things can really feel hopeless. What's the point? You know, for 30 years, for 60 years, I've been trying to be great and it's still not working. What's the point? And that hopelessness is really a, a dangerous place to be. So seeing that there's always a choice, there's always a choice. Now, I want to say that I've lived a life where I've never been enslaved and I've never been hungry and I've never been treated brutally. Mm -hmm. So I speak for those of us that have those kind of freedoms and choices in our lives. But even some of the most remarkable stories, like Viktor Frankl in the concentration camps, who said they could do everything to me, but they could not take away my own internal being. Mm -hmm. That was mine. So for us to, to come more into the moment and more into what we care about, what we really want to contribute that becomes a kind of fuel for us rather than just an irritant that we can't match it. So yes, I'd like to wipe out hunger. I don't know how to do that, but I do know how to be kind to people. I do know how to care about them. I do know how to be generous. I do know how to contribute what I can contribute rather than going, Ooh, just keep that away. I don't want to see that thing about people starving. I don't want to know about that. Why? Because I can't cope with it. Hmm. Well, if I develop my capacity to be present, I have a much bigger capacity to cope and be resourceful, not just tolerate it. It's, it's, as you speak, I f find myself during this conversation just taking deep breaths very naturally. And, uh, and I'm appreciating that quality uh, that you bring to this conversation that it just makes me very comfortable relaxing and um, oh wonderful yeah and uh, I honestly feel I feel really in tune with you because there's certain things you've said that certain certain thoughts had just passed through my mind when you said them and when you were talking about mm. hope it was like that and I was like this is this is what this work is about as much as anything else people like you and people like me and people like so many others of us who who had great opportunities to come in touch with the challenges of the stories that we've been living by and just recognize oh those are stories and in fact all this, not even knowing, like the thing that's crazy about it is to myself, I wouldn't have articulated to somebody else, I'm living a life that's actually despairing and hopeless. I wouldn't have said that 
But now that I have the references I do now and I look back at it, I can see, wow, there was a lot of despair in those days. There was a lot mm. of absence of mm. hope. And, and I feel like there's so many people in the world today who just have bought into that collective notion you talked about earlier. And, and seeing this trance and seeing that hope exists and seeing that change really is possible, like to me, this, this is it. This is the work of being in this mm -hmm. world. This is being human. Mm -hmm. This is about the collective, uh, the collective project, the collective opportunity that we <laughs> have here, you know, uh, of the human race. And, and part of the challenge is it, it has to come from, has to come from within that you recognize, you know what, there's got to be something more than the life I'm living right now. There, you know, because this is fine on some level, but there's something inside me that says I need to explore because this just isn't working for me, you know, or whatever that story, however it arises, that's how it arose for me. And I think maybe for some others, it, it's similar, but however it arises and that, you know, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever story you're living by to know that these practices exist that there are people who, who can totally empathize with what you're going through and just have had a chance to explore some of this and would be ecstatic to share <laughs> some of what they've learned with you, you know? And, yeah. and I feel like that's how we're all in this together, you know? And I don't know, that's what comes to me with, with what you say. That's how I, I feel inspired by what you're sharing. Mm. Well, I, and, and it's inspiring for me to talk about it and I and I think too to be freed up to do to do what I'm called to do you know to what in my deep heart is like yeah this is what I want to be about even even if it isn't that I'm going to go off and uh, write a book but I'm going to be conscious in life I live so that my presence contributes where this was an important thing for me to learn we are always practicing something we are always practicing something, and what I practice is what I become. So like, there's the leverage point right there. What do I want to be practicing? Even if it's not huge, but I want to be practicing gratitude or curiosity or kindness or resilience or any of those things. What, what, whatever I practice, I would become more of, and we're always practicing something you know the body the nervous system is always practicing always learning always you know getting it more and more into the groove kind of thing so there's a way i can be in the world without circumstances having to change that's it and then what happens as if i am more wholehearted um yeah i had one wonderful spiritual teacher that said the reason to do the work you do is not to change something or someone mm -hmm. it's because you love it it's like really because that changes the metrics then the metrics aren't how many people have i changed mm -hmm. it's how fully am i in alignment with yes. what i'm called to do wow that's a completely different metric that it comes back to your internal experience. And it's almost like we've got, you know, the trance of scarcity is almost like we've got it and the, the prevailing norm. And, and just to, 
not say that we've got it to overgeneralize because there are so many people that are doing the work and have done the work of stepping out of the trance, but the prevailing norm very much is attached to the trance still. And it's like the trance has it exactly opposite, I would say, of what brings fulfillment because it, <laughs> it, it says, keep working on the outside so your inside will change. When in fact, it's, it's practice internally so that you can express yourself and create the conditions you want to have externally, which are about enoughness, not about, you know, more and more and more and more. And um, what's interesting about what you said with the practice, which I absolutely love and so touches me with my own mindset, although I've never articulated it quite as eloquently, is is with the practice idea, it's like so much when, when you're stuck in the trance and you're going outwardly, it's almost like you're practicing stress and anxiety in the hopes of becoming peaceful and content, which is yeah. when, you, yeah. when you describe it that way, it's like, whoa, how insane is this? You know, it's <laughs> like if we keep feeding stress and anxiety, supersized meals, they're not going to become skinny. And <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. so, so the practice idea, like, okay, it begins today. It begins right here. It begins this moment, mm -hmm. just practicing coming back to our center, coming back to our presence, coming back to our calm. And so that we access a little bit more of our capability of contribution and our higher intelligence and our fuller capacity. And that if that's your practice and that that's who you become, it's like, okay, that's where it becomes the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. I don't know. I just get excited and <laughs> so inspired. And, and that, of course, inspired even the root of that is coming back to the breath itself. I hope that the people who listen to this, whether they're already in their practice or they're in a moment where they're looking to adopt new practices, that they feel really encouraged by what you're sharing with us here mm -hmm. today. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would certainly hope that too. I, I think this is um, a message of hope and possibility mm. and part of it will be uncomfortable. So we just know that and we don't let discomfort stop us from moving toward what we want. Oh God, I don't know. I think that we, yeah, this is to just go ahead and have the full exhale. Mm. You know, if all people did after hearing this or any time, we stopped five times a day, took one minute to exhale deeply, to let their muscles relax and feel their feet on the floor and just to ask themselves the question what is it that I care about that starts turning the tide out I'll, I'll tell you this story quickly of Bucky Fuller Buckminster Fuller story about the trim tab you know that's the story I about the trim tab. That. that you know you watch it go by and it's a big okay so there's a big big ship and at the end of the ship is a rudder which is how they determine where they go on the rudder is this little thing called the trim tab, much smaller than the rudder. But the first thing that happens for the boat to turn is to shift the trim tab, which is this kind of low pressure, which has the rudder follow, and then eventually the ship turns. And as he says, in contrast to trying to push the ship from the front to turn, the leverage point is here. Mm -hmm. So I love the idea of being a trim tab. And he called himself trim tab. Like, what can I see? What small change can I make 
that if I am consistent with it, can produce a different experience, a different direction. It isn't about working harder. It is not about working harder. I think we have all explored that thoroughly <laughs> It's about working smarter, if you will, or being strategic on where I'm putting my energy and being clear on why, for the sake of what. Man. Wow. That's the leverage point. And it's just like this simple reorientation and the reminder that, you know, there will be discomfort because we're challenging a lot of old patterns and, and, and oftentimes it entails moving into spaces beyond our comfort zone and uncharted territory that can be incredibly uncomfortable. I'm speaking from experience here. Um, <laughs> it, it also is like, wow, that's the taste of newness. That's the taste of my life expanding. And so if you can bring that to, to memory in the moments where it's really challenging, I think that can be helpful. Well, Victoria, I feel like we're coming to a close of our conversation here and that you've shared incredibly, incredibly rich aspects of your work so generously. And I'm, I'm feeling really grateful. I guess just if you have any closing remarks, any thoughts or advice or anything you would like to share with the audience before we sign off. First, thank you. This has been so rich for me and I'm, I'm inspired and um, energized by this and I appreciate what you're doing in the world for sure. I, I would say this, <laughs> it's kind of a quip, but I think it says a lot. If struggling was the way to be there, was the way to get there. If struggling was the way to get there, we'd all be there by now. Right. So struggling really isn't the way. It really isn't the useful way. So to actually step back from the clinch, push, and struggle where there's a little more space, I have a much better chance of seeing a possibility that I can't see when I'm in the clinch. So we glamorize struggle. We award people for it. And I mean struggling in the not, you know, to be, not to get good grades kind of thing, but struggling like, oh, I'm pushing against and nothing's in my favor and I have to do it all myself. We've turned it into like, that's some kind of badge of honor. Mm. And I would say it really it has a very little payoff for it. Mm. So to relax, oh, to relax? Are you kidding? In a world where nothing's working right? To actually relax and give ourselves space is a much more strategic move than to push harder. Mm. Rather than tight, to actually drop in and widen our view and see what's possible. Yeah. So that your light can shine. Because yeah. can you imagine if everybody's light could shine? Whoop! Now that's, that's a universe to be a part of. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm considering myself so lucky here to be able to have this conversation with you and, and the other guests that I've had as well. Like I just get to firsthand interact and ask questions and, um, and just absorb all this, all this wisdom. So it's awesome. It's awesome for me. Well, it's really mutual. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for the privilege. Yeah. My pleasure. My pleasure, Victoria. 
So, well, so that brings us to a close for today's beautiful conversation. Everything to do with hope and the breath and relaxation and new ways of being that start in really simple ways. So I think this is, has been, been an excellent conversation that I've enjoyed a lot. And uh, just wishing everybody the best out there who's listening. And thank you, Victoria. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you.